Alright, so here's episode one. If you've heard our introductions, you kind of know a little bit about who we are. So we wanted to talk to you about what we are going to do. So someone want to start us off? I don't mind. <laughs> Nobody else wants to. <laughs> <laughs> I just didn't want to talk over anybody, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I'm just, you know, why don't you guys tell me, because you guys pulled me into this. How did you, what was the idea? Like, who thought, I've thought about podcasting for a while, but I mean, I, I don't know. You guys motivated me somehow. So how did that happen? Um, I think, um, and Dean, if I'm wrong, if I'm wrong or misspeak, correct me, but I think it just was like a conversation because I think we, we all kind of work. We all work in different places, and I think all of our in our, all of our respective roles, our organizations are trying to tackle cultural competence in one way, shape, or form. And we were just having a conversation, and Dean and I have been, you know, together for um, some coffee to use, Twitter, Voxer, um, and our paths have crossed in our work quite a bit so we just was has having casual conversation around and it wasn't even race per se it was just cultural competence and how can we reach all students and students of color um better than what we're doing and it kind of organically grew into hey how about we link up with doug and try this because nobody really um around us locally is tackling these issues on a broader scale and it just kind of just organically grew into itself and here we are together uh, i i think it kind of more like exploded once y'all got in the same boxer group <laughs> <laughs> that, that's very true that is very true <laughs> I mean, it was like well all of a sudden not the three of us have never been in a space that i can think of that just the three of us to talk and then hopefully we'll get steven in here too at some point but uh once that group put together i mean i was like 50 messages in the first couple of days. I'm like, wow, okay. We got a lot to say in this group. <laughs> I, I think that we, that, you know, in education, we have had probably similar experiences in trying to come to some sort of understanding about what it means to, to create equitable spaces, whether in our classrooms or in our buildings or both. And, I think that we all kind of are of the same mindset and realize that this is, although a different, a difficult conversation to have, it's a conversation that's necessary. And, you know, and nobody else um, that I'm aware of, and, and maybe I'm wrong, but nobody else that I'm aware of was really having a discussion in this way in Delaware. And I, I think we all kind of felt that that was an important dialogue to have. Yeah. And definitely not publicly. I mean, I've talked to people and, you know, conferences and places. I mean, I've talked to Gerard about this personally, but um, definitely not publicly that I know of. So that's good. So what about personally? Like what makes you, and I think it took me up until just a couple of weeks ago to really realize what the, why, what's my personal reason for wanting to do this, right? So does anyone want to jump on that first? Um, I'll, I'll start. I So I had... I guess about three years ago, I started wondering if what I w was doing was what was best for students. And I started actually just asking my students, what do you, if you had the, the ideal classroom, what would it look like for you? And that then started this whole kind of, um, you know, uh, 
bit of work that I, I was like, okay, that my classroom doesn't seem equitable. And then I started realizing and picking up on inequities. And I had, um, I started noticing that my students were confiding in me about experiences they were having that where they were, um, you know, they were on the end or the receiving end of, you know, uh, racist behaviors or, you know, um, anti LGBTQ behaviors. And so I started seeing that. And then this was all kind of coupled with, um, the loss that I experienced of a former student who had committed suicide and, um, thinking to myself, you know, am I doing enough as an educator to make sure all of my students feel cared about and loved and safe? And that was kind of what started my journey. And I, I just know that I, I am doing my own work and I know that I need to also have conversations with other people who are doing work as well. Um, that was kind of where it, where it started for me. And, um, it, I've had to confront biases that I have. Um, I've had to understand that everybody's experiences are different from my own. And just because I haven't experienced it doesn't mean it's not very real or doesn't exist for other people. So can I ask you a quick follow-up question? Why, what, was there a moment or is it just a continued conversations with students where you said, you know what, I need to pay more attention to this? Um, it was, I, I had, um, you know, I had gone to a training. This is, I think, kind of what, um, what put me, I, I guess, maybe what, you know, kind of figuratively slapped me in the face. Um, I was in a training for um, LGBTQ plus students and real didn't realize that there were a lot of staff members who had an issue with it. And at that moment, I, I thought about it. And I'm like, I don't remember seeing people silently protesting the training. And right. I thought to myself at that point, is this the only thing I'm missing? You know, <laughs> sort of like, is there, is there more that I'm missing that I didn't realize was going on? And then that started me questioning how much I wasn't catching with race. You know, is there, is are there experiences that I'm not catching that I should have been, you know, more mindful of. And that really came with a serious look at myself and looking at where I fall within all of this and what have I potentially done to perpetuate, you know, systemic issues. And so right. that was really a, that, that was really kind of where everything shifted for me and may, gave me a lot of awareness I hadn't had previously. So I, I know that this is, this podcast is going to be important and this work is important because, you know, until we reach a point where, there are equitable outcomes for all of all of our students. The conversations still need to exist and they need to be had. Yeah. And then for each generation coming up, we got to have the conversations again. Absolutely. <laughs> anyway. Absolutely. So, Gerard, you want to take it from there? That was good. Yes, it was. Um, I'm still reflecting still on what she said because uh, that right there was huge. And I know for me personally, um, it's, it's my life. Uh, I'm a black educator um, I'm a black, you know, I'm a black dad, a black husband. I have black kids and my kids go to school where they are 
definitely the minority. So everything I do from a professional and personal standpoint revolve around educating my students, educating my colleagues or those I supervise, as well as my own children into, you know, what does cultural competence around the black race and other races um, entails in our schools. And it's, it's huge for me because even when I was in the classroom, a lot of my students that were not black, they would in confidence ask me certain questions because they really, they really were intrigued. I want to say the kids um, were trying to become more cultural competent than the adults at times. Um, And that really was profound for me because, um, you know, that means the more that we can instill in the students, uh, the number of people that aren't looking at the bigger picture is going to start to decrease as we, you know, help the kids to understand the world around them and they take that forth in their life. And that's to me, that's what it's all about. And um, with those I work with, um, just showing them that all of our students are not okay and some of them may feel as though they're not getting the most equitable opportunity like their counterparts sitting beside them in the classroom and that's not okay so we have to and I try to play a major role as I can with um, just supporting those that are trying to progress in this area because at the end of the day their students are going to win yeah that's good so I mean to me so Dina you're mixed race Gerard you're black I am I'm the whitest guy you've ever met, blonde hair, blue eyes, you know, like all I've even done the ancestry 21. Like I am like 80% from great Britain. Right. I mean, it doesn't get, it doesn't get any whiter. Right. So I, uh, my lineage has never been discriminated against as far as I know, maybe way back in like the 1100s, but my why for this really, it kind of, it came to something that you said, Dina, it was, it's selfish. It's, it's becoming self-aware and realizing that although I have a lot of privileges, although I have a lot of things going for me, I can really help influence those other people that look like me in a way that people of color can. And I think, but I have lived the life of a white, of a white person. You know what I mean? It's kind of weird to say it that way. Um, but I think it's important to say it that way now because, you know, white is a race, you know, it, it, it is, it is, a, it's, you know, it is something and it's not something you necessarily need to feel sorry for or feel bad about, but you need to understand what comes with it. And then how can you help other people around you that look like you? And I, and, I, and that sounds weird saying that out loud as a white person, but I think it's true just as much as, you know, um, another black person can, can share the experiences of another black person and the white person can ex- share those you know, unfortunately, a lot of negative racist experiences with other white people and understand where it's coming from. And I think, Dina, you said it, too, about that filter. Like, that is on, like, high for me now, right? I, I didn't – a lot of things would go past me. I'm like, what? Is that racist or not? I don't even know. And then you think later, like, yeah, it was. But now I catch it quickly, uh, right? It used to take me a minute and be like, oh, okay, I don't understand. Um, so for me, a, a lot of my personal things is just about that. I, I can – there's a couple of two particular things that really made me made me uh, start to think. One was that when I was young, I, I've told the story to many people, but when I was 16, um, I played basketball at McCain, and I was one of only two 
uh, white players on the team. I also played soccer for McCain, and that locker room looked very different than the basketball locker room. It sounded different. Um, it just felt different. Both were outstanding and wonderful, and I, I, I created great friends. But that was the first time where I started to realize that I was white. You know what I mean? Like, i different than everyone else in this locker room, except for one of the guys. Um, and we bonded. I mean, we had a great time. We had a great season. We all liked each other. I mean, we hung out quite a bit. And I think that's the one thing that made me realize, because you started hearing stories in the locker room about this teacher, that teacher did this, did this, did this. And they're complaining. And I'm like, what? That did, who did what? And I'm like, I have no idea what you're even talking about. Like, that stuff doesn't happen to me. Um... But then I didn't do anything with it for a really long time. And so maybe, I don't know what moment it was. I think it was just a combination of a couple of things where I just said, you know what? I got to stop not saying anything and start doing some work around this. And for me, that work means helping my students, staff, community, everyone around me, you know, kind of look or develop a different kind of lens of looking through things um, and how to deal with students of color and how to make things more equitable and how to help, you know, all of our students, certainly, um, but how to really um, figure out what can we do to be proactive so that all of our students can succeed. Because our data would suggest that we're not doing that yet. Um, And I say yet because we're going to get there because I'm committed that we are going to get there. Um, but I think it was just a lot of things, and I don't remember a moment or any time where someone slapped me in the face and said, Doug, you got to do this now. But um, it definitely kind of gradually happened. And then as – I don't know if you guys think this, and maybe this is another question, but you know, as I continue to, to do this and push this work, um, I see more, and a lot of what I see, both positive and negative, motivates me to want to do it more. Does that make sense in some way? Oh, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm wondering if there are other things out there that have, like, I don't, maybe not specific reasons or topics, but what else? Is there anything else that we uh, want to share on that? Or do we just want to talk about what are some things that we'll be tackling in the near future? And I have our notes, so I can go to that if you would like me to. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, jump right in. Let's see what we... Uh, All right. So, so here's what we have so far, and I'll just read it, and you guys can speak to it. Uh, I'll pause for a minute, or we can just – this is what – if you want to continue listening to speaking educationally, these are the things that the three of us are going to talk about. So one of those things is that um, you know I don't see color right in my students. They're all equal. Another one is implicit biases. What are the implicit biases, and how do we deal with our biases in the classroom? Another one is microaggressions. What is a microaggression? How does it affect our students? Uh, and how does it affect who we are as educators, right? This idea, and this is sort of a new, I haven't only heard it for a little while, like maybe six or months to a year, but this idea of being a white savior teacher, you know, going into a, a, a quote-unquote difficult school, Title I school, and trying to save the students. We talked about possibly talking about curriculum, and the curriculum's effects on our students of color. Uh, implied historical colonized history. <laughs> I don't know. That's a, that's, a, that's a lot. That's a big, big, big one. And then what is white supremacy as it shows up in our schools? And I don't think we're talking about, you know, the guys in the, in the white cloaks, you know, just white supremacy. And if any guys want to jump in, just let me know. But I'm just reading. I got a couple more. Um, how should we teach history for all students? Right? How about marginalization? What is that? What is marginalization? 
what is the layered effect of, of who you are and as a student? Um, I think it's about all we got so far, but I'm sure through Voxer conversations, we'll come up with some more. I, I definitely think we will because we, uh, we've had some rich conversations around a lot that all lead back to equity work. All right. Dean, anything else you want to share? We're at about 16 minutes and 25 seconds before we kind of check out for this first episode. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's, I, I think you, I think you well covered everything, Doug. And I I just, I mean, I know I'm excited to have the conversations um, and I'm excited for, you know, my continued growth um, and, you know, listening and discussing these topics with, um, with all of you. I'm excited about that. So maybe something else we should think about is, you know, at the end, if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, I do try to share resources there. I know in the show notes for these things, I have the ability to type things in. So if we talk about a specific article or piece of research, um, we'll be sure to include links, I hope, to videos, research, whatever, um, that could support what we're talking about. So I'll just go first. I am at DougTim34 on Twitter. It's probably, probably the only place really to find me. For social media, my Facebook is generally just friends and family, and um, I run this school Instagram account, but that's just pictures of students at my school. So that's my only social media is at DougTim34. Um, for me, Gerard, um, I am on Twitter at J-A-P-H-I-L-L-I-P-S-0722. Um, so basically just my First initial, middle initial, my last name, J.A. Phillips, 0722. And 0722 um, is significant for me because that's my wedding anniversary. And I'm also on a Voxer at the same address, J.A. Phillips, 0722. Uh, the best way to find me would be on Twitter. I am on all forms of social media, but I, I seem to gravitate to Twitter a little bit more than others. Um, so I can be found um, at Hess Teacher Est. Nice. All right. I don't know why I didn't think about this before, but we should start a Twitter account just for this podcast so that we can push links. And if people want to have suggestions or comments, they can go through there. Um, so I'll work on that and get that to you guys in the, <laughs> in the background. And then um, we'll go from there. Okay. That sounds great. Awesome. Cool. Sounds great. Right. So episode one. It's done. Can't wait for episode two. Talk to y'all later. All right. Peace out.